Well, good morning, church. Glad you're here this morning. We have been in a series called Together, and as we think about Together, we've talked about a lot of things the last few weeks. We began by talking about the truth of togetherness, and what we said out of the very get-go is when you think about Together, the first thing we need to know is that what brings us together is that we are united in Christ, despite your background, despite your story, despite your heritage, that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, what brings us all together is that we are united in Christ. And because we're united in Christ, we are part of the body of Christ. One body, many members, many parts. And the reason I want to remind you of that is because every single one of you who are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're part of the body of Christ. You're part of one body, and you are a member of that body, which means this. You bring value to the body. We need you, and consequently, you need everybody else. So week one, we began to talk about just the truth of togetherness, and then we kind of moved the second week, we kind of moved into a couple weeks of talking about really the threat to togetherness. What is a thing that can kind of threaten our sense of being united in Christ? And we talked about two really big issues. One was conflict. And if you've been in church any period of time, you've probably seen conflict in the church. And how did Jesus tell us to handle that conflict? And so we just kind of unpacked that because ultimately what we want more than anything is we want our church to be a church that is viewed not only inside these walls, but outside these walls as a church that is united in Christ. Amen? And we want that, and we've got to guard against the threats. And one threat is conflict. And we've got to make sure we deal with it the way that Jesus told us to deal with it. The second thing we looked at, this kind of the second threat, is boundaries. And now some of you, that kind of blew your mind talking about boundaries. And, and maybe one reason the church, one threat to the church is the lack of boundaries. But if you remember, we talked about those burdens that we're called to bear with one another, which reflected in a boulder, right? And then we talked about but how each person has to carry their own what? load, which is we're talking about, we talked about backpack issues. And we said we were called to help people lift and carry boulders, but everybody's got to carry their own backpack. In other words, you can come along someone, encourage them through divorce, through cancer, through tragedy, but you can't carry their crisis of faith. You can point them in the right direction. You can give them scripture, but you can't carry that. You can't carry their crisis of faith. You can't carry their search for peace. You can point them to Christ, but you can't carry it for them. And one of the reasons and one of the things that threaten togetherness is when we try to carry people's loads and forget about carrying people's burdens. And then last week, we got to experience just being together. We were at Lake Mills Park. I mean, we had incredible attendance. I mean, I was surprised by that. And we had food coming out our eyeballs, right? I mean, we had all this food, and Miss Pat made a, a peach cobbler. Miss Pat, you are now my new favorite in all the church because you made it. It was wonderful. The only thing we were missing was donuts. I mean, that was it. I mean, other than that, we had every kind of dessert imaginable last Sunday. And we had a good time, and we were able to baptize seven people who said that I'm following Christ. And what a great moment as a church. And so today, as we continue talking about together, here's what I want us to do. I want us to talk about the beauty of togetherness, the beauty of it. That here, I'm going to steal the thunder at the beginning. The beauty of togetherness is this. The beauty is this, that every single one of us who are followers of Christ, every single one of us have a story of how Jesus has rescued us. Every single one of us. If you're a follower of Christ, the beauty, what, the, the beauty of our togetherness is that every single one of us have a story. And that story is how Jesus has rescued us. And I just want to be honest. One of my favorite things to do as a pastor is I love, and I'm going to say I love to eat with folks and do lunch. And you're like, obviously, look at you. You love to eat. But the point is, 
I love to sit across the table from people and just hear their story. You know, it is a shame. I don't know how to fix this, and maybe you can help me. It's a shame that in church life that we don't have the opportunity to hear everybody's story. Because everybody has one, don't they? And you may look at someone and go, man, that person is so put together. They've got it all figured out. And what you find out in their story is that they are a disaster, that they are a wreck. But Jesus has changed them and radically changed them. And so I love hearing people's story, how Jesus took them from where they were and how he rescued them and how he brought them to where they're at today. And so I love hearing the stories of different people. And one of the beauty of togetherness is we all have a story. But we all have the same hero in the story, and it's not you. It's Jesus, right? Now today, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 26. Acts 26 is where we're going to be this morning. And before I get to the passage, I want to do something we haven't done, at least since I've been here. The first few verses in Acts chapter 26, Paul really begins, he's, he's before King Agrippa, and basically he's given an account of his story. He's telling King Agrippa and Festus his story. So the first 11 verses are Paul talking about his life before Christ. And then from verse 12 on, he's talking about his conversion. Now, if you, we, I, I was praying about today. I thought, you know what? We could spend some time unpacking that, Paul's story. Many of us are familiar with his story. So today what I thought we would do a little bit different is rather than unpacking Paul's story here, in a minute we'll get to verse 12 and, and the important stuff, but rather than unpacking Paul's story, I want to take some time and unpack the story of somebody who's a part of our church. Because you may know Paul's story. You've read Acts. You know Paul's journey to conversion. You, Paul, you know Paul's story. And we'll get to that a little bit in a minute. But I think it's important for us, as we think about the beauty of togetherness, being that we all have a story, I think we need to hear a story from one of our own. So if you all would give me, help me join, me, join me in giving a warm welcome to Tyler Peck. Tyler, come on up here with me, ma'am. All right, Tyler, come on up here. You get to sit in the tall chair. I don't know why there are different sizes, but you get the tall one. All right, there you go. Everybody knows that he's just picking on me because I always raise my hand when I'm not supposed to. That's right. Here he's sitting now. <laughs> now, I'm, our, our tech person is going to make me tell you to hold that mic up to your mouth really, really good. Can you hear me? You can. Is he good with that, Kaylee? Okay, good. All right, so Tyler, today, as we, as we think about the beauty of togetherness is that we all have a story. I mean, every single person out here, even those who aren't a believer, have a story of something. And so I know in your story that you're a follower of Christ, I want you to kind of share your story with us. So let's just start with telling us just about um, your life before Christ. What did Tyler Peck's life look like before he had an encounter with Jesus? Well, my walk before Jesus was, uh, it was a vicious cycle. Um, I had a lot of alcohol abuse, drug addiction, uh, breaking the laws, and you couldn't tell me what to do. You know, you couldn't teach me nothing. I already knew how to do everything. You know, that was one thing about me. I was Mr. Know-it-all. Uh, so somebody said, hey, Tyler, do it this way. You're like, I know. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I got yeah, you. I got yeah. you. Like, <laughs> I understand. Um, you know, it always ran into dead ends. Um, you know, fights with family, you know, separation from family, uh, losing friends, and the friends you had, you thought were friends, were just, they're really enemies, mm -hmm. you know? And I was surrounding myself with people that wouldn't try to tell me what to do because I wanted to do what I wanted to do, you know? And, but deep down inside, I always knew I was doing the wrong thing. But ultimately, you know, life before Christ was a vicious cycle, and I always just made it go round and round. And if there was ever an exit, I just kept on going. You know, I wanted to stay in the cycle. That was just who I was. So, so what was... Then part of your cycle? What, what, what pieces were part of that cycle? 
like elements of the cycle. You mentioned alcohol, yeah. that part of the cycle. I mean, those were just comforting, you know, made me feel better, you know. <clears throat> when I was growing up, that was normal, you know, in my family at least. You know, drinking was an everyday thing, and um, behind the doors there was, there was, you know, drugs and alcohol, and that was kind of how you made friends in the group of people that I was with, because if you didn't do it, you pretty much didn't belong there, mm. you know, in the neighborhoods I grew up in, at least. Not saying that I had it worse than anybody else, but by any means. So before Christ, when you were in the midst of that cycle, was there ever a moment you were, like, looking for an exit to that cycle, or was it like, I'm just enjoying it? There definitely was. Um, there was plenty of times where I looked for an exit, but it was, it was uncomfortable. I didn't like change. Change was intimidating. It still is. I mean, trying to embrace things, you know, becoming a parent and acting like we know what we're doing. <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so where, where did this cycle lead you as far as consequences? Um, so with all my, uh, the choices that I made comes with action uh, and consequences to lead behind it. And it did land me up uh, in jail a few times. And the last time... Uh, I think it's fair to say was was a year I was away from uh, from my wife uh, Casey, who was my girlfriend at the time, and we were pregnant with Addie. And uh, sorry, um, you know, by the grace of God, you know, I was allowed to be released two two weeks before Adeline. <laughs> it's all right, man. I was released two weeks before Adeline was born, and that really, that did it for me, you know. I grew up in a broken home, and I was always, you know, the people that we hung out with always told Casey, you know, watch out for Tyler, you know, he's going to, I'm not joking, <laughs> you know, they would tell her, you know, be careful, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna break your heart and leave. Yeah. And I would always tell her, I was like, you know, just, you know, don't worry, we'll get through this, and this, that, and the other, you know, I've always wanted family, and so, you know, we had Addie, and that was, you know, that was the time that I knew Jesus was calling on me to raise a family in a different uh, environment than what I grew up in, you know, because, like I said, my life wasn't the worst that there's ever been around, but uh, it wasn't a good example to lead by, you know, and I wanted better for my children. Sure, so you were in this cycle, and you were faced with the consequences. In fact, I asked Tyler, I said, you know, you're standing in jail. He's like, which one? And so he had a couple there. Um, and I know you said to me uh, that you and future pop-in-law did not see eye to eye. Is that fair to say, Keith, that y'all didn't see uh, eye to eye at all? And so, but you made a comment that really impacted me. You said, but he was determined to make the relationship right. Yes. So tell us about that a little bit. Um, yeah, there was a lot, you know, it, uh, from a father's perspective that I couldn't argue with, you know, because, you know, knowing my past and, you know, nobody, want, nobody wants your, your daughter to end up with someone that's in and out of jail, you know, right. and that's, that's respectable, but, you know, I had to, to fight to, to, you know, help people realize that I want to do better, you know, this is just, you know, trusting me and we'll do this, you know, I, I can do this and, you know, uh, Keith, Keith and Casey would take time and come visit me while I was in jail for that period of time and give me a word of advice because it, uh, it was a tough journey. 
um, a long one at that. But, uh, you know, I'm just glad that they, that they did that because, you know, I might have ended up in the same cycle when yeah. I got out had I not had them there and Keith mentoring me through the process because, I mean, I never had anybody take me under their wing in that, in that sense. But, you know, it's a definitely uh, helped change the direction and um, getting out of jail. Uh, all of us coming up with a plan for me to be in a situation to where I'm not faced with the same, uh, the, the easy decisions to, you know, to make. Um, they're definitely much harder decisions and wiser decisions and how to not have them both by my side that, you know, it, it probably wouldn't have gone the way it went. So tell me about this. You were in this cycle. You were dating Casey. Addie was about to be born. Keith starts coming to see you, kind of mentoring you, which speaks volumes to his character and love for the Lord, that he would come see a guy that he's not so sure I want with my daughter, which is incredible. <laughs> uh, but what was the moment for you? You get out of jail. Addie's born. What was the moment that God opened your eyes to the truth of how much he loved you and what he did with Jesus on the cross for you, that you gave your life to Christ. What was that conversion moment for you? Well, well I'm going to say there's actually, uh, I'd like to say there's one, but there's there's really two. Um, there was a night that Keith and Cindy invited us over for dinner. It was an ambush, by the way. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> uh, you know, and, and Cindy asked, you know, when you die, do you know where you're going? Wow. And I, said, I wanted to say yes, but... Being asked that, I was like, eh, I don't know, you know, yeah. and that was the, you know, that, that put a lot of thought in my head, you know, sure. where am I going to go? You know, of course, in my head, going to heaven, what do you think? You know what I'm saying? But I didn't, I didn't truly know that, you know, um, and then finally, uh, Casey and I started to attend a church with them uh, at um, a veto campus cross life, and coming back, I remember the the first time it was actually, I believe, my first time at Cross Life. Um, I broke down in tears just because I, I felt like that service was for me, you know, and it was just God with his arms wide open because, and I'm just thinking, you know, I'm so past far saving, you know, all the things I've done. You know, I, if you wanted to make a checklist, I mean, it can go from here way down to the wall, you know, it's just so the guilt of the mm -hmm. things that I've done and accepting Christ and and believing that he can tr that he truly does forgive me for everything I did yeah. you know that that was it you know cuz i mean my heart melted and i broke down in tears cuz you know knowing that we have such a great god that will that is there no matter what through thick and thin you know whether you think that you're too far saving or not you're worth it mm. and, and god's always going to be there um and after realizing that. Yeah. So you were saved, you told me, May 2017. No, I think, yeah, I think it was May 5th or May 6th, 2017. Cinco de Mayo? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was right after. <laughs> okay, okay. So you were saved in May of 2017, so you've been a Christian for four years, and so I know we all have the same assumption, life's been a breeze in the last four years, right? Oh, yeah, it's been easy. No, so what yeah. are some struggles as a believer that you've wrestled with in the last four years? Um, there's been a lot. I mean, you know, there's, there's days where I question, you know, if what I'm doing is the right thing, you know, but, you know, I wouldn't call my Christian, uh, myself a Christian if I didn't, you know, cause 
I want to know what I'm believing in, and which is Christ, and yeah. I want to know why I'm believing in Him. And if I didn't question that, I I believe there's a reason, or there'd be something wrong. Right. Um, but I know definitely, you know, becoming saved and becoming a child of Christ was uh, has not made my life easier, but has bring comfort to me, um, knowing where I will end up mm. when my time comes. Um, it's. Uh, I definitely learned, do not pray for patience, because <laughs> it will be tested at full strength. Yep. 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 <laughs> um, but but well, just tell me this, because we talked about this. If there's one last thing you could tell our group, say, hey, if there's one thing I'd want to encourage you with today, based on my story, what is it? Um, I'd have to say, you know, like I said before, you couldn't teach me nothing. Let yourself be teachable. And if you're a leader, be a teachable teacher because that's most important because the day that you think there's nothing you, you can be taught is the day you'll never be able to help anybody again. Good. Man, that's powerful. Tyler, I love you, and thank you for sharing your story. Can we give Tyler a hand? You, love you, buddy. Glad to be man. You know, as you think about it, I guess the question, I have two questions I want us to really unpack this morning based on this. What is your story, right? What is your story? And I I know some of you, like, you know, we know Tyler's story now, right? And we didn't get to hear all the intricacies of it, but you heard a lot of Tyler's stories. It's a beautiful story, and and maybe we would have Casey tell it. Maybe it would be a little different side of it, and maybe Keith and Cindy tell it, and that would be the truth. And so, anyway, we we heard his story. We love the fact about before Christ and the moment Christ changed him in life since then. And we know Paul's story. I mean, you've, you've heard Paul's story. Paul was a, uh, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was on the path to become the highest official in the Sanhedrin. He was on that path. He was a persecutor of Christians. He held the cloak of the person who stoned the first martyr. I mean, Paul was a bad dude, but yet Jesus changed his life too, right? And I think we have to ask ourselves this question before we get to the passages. What is your story? What is your story before Christ, the moment you were saved? What is your story? I know some of you may be thinking, hey, wait a minute, Doug. My story is insignificant. I never wrestled with drugs. I never wrestled with alcohol. My story is insignificant. And let me just say this to you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your story is not insignificant. Because there was a moment when you trusted Christ that you passed from death to life. You moved from darkness to light. You went from loss to being found. That's not insignificant. And I want us to think about this morning, what is your story? But here's the most important question. Will you share it? See, when you think about your story, the thing I want us to land on for the rest of the time I have this morning is, what is God's plan in using your story? See, it's one thing to know we have a story. But what is God's plan in using your story? So in Acts chapter 26, I want you to look with me as I read, begin reading in verse 15. Because Paul is retelling the account of his conversion experience. He's retelling and actually quoting the words of Jesus to himself. And I want you to look what Paul says, beginning in verse 15. And I said, Paul's talking to Jesus, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Underline that in your Bible. Purpose. 
to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen in me and to those which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and place among them and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And in this passage, I believe Paul lays out, really we learn four things about God's plan to use your story. Now hear me on this church. Before I go any further, you first need to come to this conclusion. Your story matters. How Jesus has radically changed your life, and not just your life, but your eternity, it matters. The fact that you've moved from death to life is significant. It doesn't matter if you were addicted to drugs and alcohol and all that, or you were not. Jesus changed you, and it's significant. And now we need to talk about what is God's plan to use your story. And the first thing we find out is this. The first piece of this plan out of the four things is that his plan is for us to share it. The first the first plan that God has for us is that we would share our story, for us to share. Look with me back in verse 15 through 17. Look what it says. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to those which have seen me and those which I will appear to, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Here's what Jesus says to Paul. He says, listen, I'm appearing to you. I've come to you not just to save you. I've shown up not just to save you. My purpose in coming to you, yes, on one hand, was to give you eternal life. But on the other hand, I have a purpose for you, and that purpose is to appoint you. Did you pick up on that? He said, I want to appoint you to two things, to be my servant, and sometimes it translates as minister, and to be my witness. Now listen to this. Here's what Jesus is saying to Paul. He says, listen, Paul, man, you've been persecuting me. You've been persecuting the church, but I'm about to radically change your life. I'm going to pass you from death to life. But I want you to know something, Paul, that your story, the story of what I'm going to do in your life, it's bigger than you've ever imagined. Your story is not about just you. It's not just about me saving you and changing you. I'm doing this with this purpose in mind, that I want you to be my witness and for you to be my servant. Now, quick question. What do servants and witnesses do? They share with what they've seen and what they've experienced, right? A, wit, a, a servant and a witness, they share what they have seen and what they experienced. And so here's what Jesus is literally telling Paul. I'm saving you, I'm rescuing you, but I don't want you to keep it to yourself. I want, I'm going to change your life, Paul. I'm going to change your eternity, but I'm changing it not so you can hoard it for yourself. I want you to be my witness. I want you to be my servant. I want you to be my vessel where you are sharing what I've done to you, to other people. Now, I want you to hear me on this, church. We've got to understand this, that one of the plans that God has for your story is he wants you to share it. He wants you to share it. Your story was never designed for you to keep it to yourself. Think about that. Your story of God's goodness and God's grace and God's love for you was never designed for you to keep it to yourself. Did you know that? It was designed for you to share it so that God can use it to impact other people's lives. It was designed for you to share it so that you could bear witness of the goodness and the grace and the love of God. The reason I had, listen, Tyler up here, he was bearing evidence 
to the hero of his story. And the hero of Tyler's story was not Tyler. It was Jesus and how Jesus changed his life. And I just want us to know this morning that one of the things that God wants to do for us, one of the plans that God has for us with our story is he wants us to share it. Now, just think about this. When's the last time you shared your story? When's the last time you shared it? When's the last time you had a moment to share your story? Well, and probably many of you, if you were honest, you'd say, well, I've not really shared it because I feel like it's insignificant. And I'm telling you, it's not insignificant. In fact, if I were to ask you, if we could sit across the table and have a conversation, and I were to say, what is your story? Could you tell me your story? Could you articulate my life before Christ when I accepted Christ? Now, you say, well, Doug, I, I, you know, like me, I'm 48 years old. You know, think back when I was nine years old. I don't remember that year. I just know it was, you know, 39 years ago. I don't remember the exact day and time, but I remember that moment. Okay, can you articulate that? See, your story was never designed for you to keep it to yourself. Elijah's story was never designed for Elijah to keep it to himself. I remember the first time that Elijah preached, he was talking about suffering, if I remember correctly. And he was talking about uh, his mom passing away. And he just kind of breezed over it when we were talking about it before that Sunday morning. I said, listen, bro, that's your story, man. And we're not asking you to pull emotional strings on people. That's, that's your story that tells the journey that God has had you on that's brought you this moment. Don't shy away from sharing your story. Why? Because God never intended for Elijah to keep Elijah's story to himself. And the same thing's true for all of us. You have a story. And his plan is for us to share it. The second part of this plan is for him to use it to open the eyes of others. The second thing I want you to write down, I think we have this on the screen, to use it to open the eyes of others. Look with me in verse 17 again. It says this, he says, and delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes, to open their eyes. Listen, God, Jesus was telling Paul, I want to use your story and what you've experienced and what you've seen me do. I want to use your story of how I've changed your life. I want to use your story so that other people's eyes might be open to my love and to my grace and to how much I, I care about them. See, here's the thing. People who don't know Christ are spiritually blind, right? People who don't know Christ are spiritually blind. In fact, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He says this, in their case, talking about unbelievers, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words, those who don't know Christ are spiritually blind. They're blind. People who don't know Christ are spiritually blind. And he says, listen, Paul, I want to use your story. I want you to tell your story of how I have radically changed a guy who was persecuting Christians, a guy who was on a mission to kill Christians, how I took that guy who was the, the religious of the religious, and I changed him to make him the guy that I made him today, which is the greatest evangelist this world will ever know. That I, may, I want them to know your story. Why? Because I want their eyes to be opened. Now hear me on this, church. God wants to use your story, too to open the eyes of other people. He wants to use our story to open the eyes so that people, that, that, the people we share our story with, that, that they might gain sight, that those that are blind would gain sight. He wants to use our story to share our story to other people so that the blinders might fall. He wants to use our story so that people's eyes might be opened to the love of God. So do you think your story matters? 
Yeah, it does. See, God only wants you to share your story, but in sharing it, he wants to use it to open the eyes of other people. Listen to this. My story is nowhere close to Tyler's story. Not even close. In fact, I've said this before. The only time I've ever had a sip of alcohol in my life was taking the Lord's Supper in Romania, and it caught me off guard. I didn't know it was real wine, and it caught me off guard. That's it. So alcohol has never been something for me. Drugs, I've never had a drug in my life. I mean, there's been times, Sonia and I have gone up to homes and different people in the Bithel area, and she's like, you smell that weed? Nope, I've never smelled weed in my life. I didn't know what weed smells like. So I, I mean, that's not, but you know what? I do have a story. And my story wasn't a roadside conversion like people that I know that when they were walking in rebellion and God caught them off the side of the road and, and they got saved. That wasn't my story. I was nine years old. I grew up in the church. I always went to church. I went to Sunday school. We called small groups. I always went to church. I went to vacation Bible school and I gave my life to Jesus at nine years old at vacation Bible school. And that's been my story. And my story from then is how, yes, I struggle, but at the end of the day, God has been with me and navigating, guiding me. My story doesn't look like Tyler's story, but guess what? There's somebody here today that story needs to hear my story. You need to hear that just because you've not had those kind of experiences makes your story insignificant, that you still passed from death to life. I'm just as saved as Tyler is, and so some people need to hear my story. And then there's people over here, they need to hear Tyler's story. They feel like, hey, you know what? I'm beyond God's grace. I'm beyond God's love. I've done too much. I've said too much. I've experienced too much. And they need to know that no matter where you're at, no matter what journey you've walked down, you're never beyond the grasp of God's grace. See, everybody's got a story. And not everybody will be inspired by my story. And not everybody will be inspired by Tyler's story. But everybody we know can be inspired by everybody else's story. And so your story matters. The reason I brought Tyler up here to share his story wasn't to highlight Tyler. It was to highlight Jesus and to highlight that Jesus changes everybody's life. And so one of the plans that God has for you is, yes, he wants to share our story, but he wants to use it to open the eyes of others. But he also wants to use it to turn people from dark to light. Go back to verse 18. He said, I want to use your story to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. He said, listen, I want to take your story and use it to open the eyes of other people. I want to take your story and help it turn people from darkness to light. See, listen, once eyes have been opened to the light of God's love, guess what we now see clearly? the darkness of our own sin, right? When we, listen, when we truly come to grips with the love of God, we truly come to grips with the love of God that was demonstrated on the cross of Calvary. When we come to grips with how much this eternal God truly loves us, that he sent his only son down the cross with us. When we truly come to grips with the love of God, what it also exposes is the darkness of our own heart, the darkness of our own sin, that we choose rebellion against God, that we say things, we do things, and we think things that violate the very word of God. And so he says, I want to use your story, Paul, not only to open their eyes, but to turn them to me. I want to use your story, Paul, not only to open their eyes to the light of how much I love them, I also want to use your story to show them the darkness of the sin that's in their life. See, people who don't know Christ live in darkness. Sin is at home in them, right? People who don't know Christ, sin is just finds its home in them. But when our eyes have been opened, guess what happens? Darkness has been exposed but also our need for light. 
See, Tyler, when he was standing up here, he was telling the story about being in jail when Addie was born. But there was a moment in his life that he was confronted with the weight of what the decisions he made, the sin that was in his life, and he said it reminded him of his need for Jesus. Listen, when our eyes are open to the truth of God's love and sin has been exposed, we now clearly see darkness and we see our need for light. And Jesus tells Paul, I want to use your story, man. I want to use your story not just to open their eyes. That's a starting point. But I want to use your story to nudge them to turn away from darkness and sin and turn to me. See, when, when, when our eyes are open, we see clearly, as Jesus says, we see clearly the power of Satan and we see clearly the power of God. You know what the power of Satan is, right? The power of Satan is deception. Deceiving us to believing that we determine our own destiny. The, the deception that, that we don't need anybody else. The deception that we can work hard enough, be good enough, that somehow this cosmic eternal being will accept us into an eternal reward. That we can be deceived into thinking that, that when we live and we die, we just no longer exist. I mean, whatever the deception is, that's the power of Satan. But the power of God is this. You ready? This is huge. I love you. I agape you. I have unconditional affection, concern, and loyalty for you. Here's the power of God. I just love you. I know you've blown it. I know you stink. I know you're broken. But man, I sure do love you. And see, when our eyes are open, the reality and the weight of darkness and sin, becomes aware, we become aware of that, but also we become aware of the great love of our Heavenly Father. Now listen to this. And here's what. Jesus tells Paul, I want to use your story for that. I want to use your story to open people's eyes. And I want to use your story to nudge people to turn to me. Now listen to me. That's our story too. Did you know that? That Jesus wants us to share our story so he can use our story, our journey, whatever it looks like. He can use our story to open the eyes of those that are around us. That he can use our story to turn people, to, to nudge people going, well, if Jesus can change Tyler Peck's life or Doug Osborne's life or Elijah Barnes' life, surely he can change my life. And to use our story to nudge them back to him. What great privilege and honor do we have that God wants to use you and that God wants to use me? I mean, isn't it amazing that God would take a broken, a flawed person like me and want to use my story to impact other people, and the same thing can be said about you. Isn't it an awesome privilege to know that God wants to use Debbie Tucker to reach somebody else? Sure it is. Isn't it amazing to know that God wants to use Riley Jacobs to reach? Sure it is. And as believers, we need to know that God's plan for our story is that we would share it, and in sharing it, knowing that he's going to use it to open people's eyes and hopefully to turn people to himself. But there's one more plan that God has as we close, and it's this. He, went to, he has a plan for us to see the blessing of him using our story. Fourth and final, he has this plan for us to see the blessing of him using our story. Look with me in verse 18 at the very end. He says that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place those who are sanctified by faith in me. I would love to tell you every time you share your story, you see the fruit of sharing your story. But that's not the case, right? We oftentimes are planting a seed, and God waters it, nurtures it, grows it, and brings it to light when God wants to. But there are moments 
when we have the opportunity to see the blessing of God using our story to bring someone from death to life. Can I just say this? He talks about, you know, and then having forgiveness of sin and having a place among those. What greater blessing is there when you're able to share your story with someone and God opens their eyes and God exposes the darkness of sin in their life and points them to the light of the love that he has for them and they say, yes. They say, yes, I want that love. I want to surrender my life to Christ. There's no greater honor or moment in my life. I love a lot of things in life, food being one of those. I love baptism. Like last week, man, that just, man, I had goosebumps as we're baptizing. But you know the thing that really just wrecks me and excites me at the same time is when you're able to sit across from someone and they say, yes, I want Christ, and would you help me make that decision? There's nothing like it when they begin to pray a prayer and they say, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I say things. I do things. I think things that rebel against you. And I ask you to forgive me my sin. And I surrender. There's nothing any more exciting than seeing someone experience the true forgiveness of God. And there's nothing any more exciting knowing that once they receive that forgiveness, guess what else they receive? A home in heaven. He said a place among those who've been sanctified. In other words, those that come to faith in Christ have the same story I have that one day I'm forever going to be with him in glory. A couple, a couple weeks ago, maybe in July, I got to have that moment. There was a young lady. We were doing a backyard Bible club. At the very end of the Backyard Bible Club, the last day, like we always do in Vacation Bible School or Backyard Bible Clubs, we share the gospel on Thursday. And so we had four, four young ones that wanted to pray to receive Christ. I guess they were somewhere between third grade through fifth grade. They prayed to receive Christ. Man, it was just a fantastic, I mean, just a great, great, great moment. I, I share this story of Paul in Acts 26, and they came to faith in Christ. It was a great moment. But the one, the even a more amazing moment was when I was done, one of the teenagers who works in that area, it actually was helping us, just had tears streaming down her face. And she said, can we talk? And you know, I was like, absolutely. So we sit down, we began to talk, and they began to talk about, back, she began to talk about backpack issues, like peace and faith and all that. And as we talked about last week, I couldn't carry that for her, but I knew where to point her. And so I pointed her to Christ. I talked a little bit about my story, and we got to the end of it. I said, listen, the only way you're going to find what you're looking for is by surrendering your life to the only one that can help you and save you, and his name is Jesus. I said, do you want to do that? And with tears streaming down her face, she goes, I do. And right there, she prayed to receive Christ, and when she was done, her countenance was different. I've seen her about five times since then. She comes on Tuesday nights. I get to see her on Thursdays when we do chapel, and there's something different. And you know what's different about her? She now has Jesus as her Savior. And I'm telling you, what a blessing it is that when you know that God is using your story to make a difference in other people's lives. Don't discount that. Don't negate that. That matters. So when we think about what is God's plan to use your story, here's the four things. You ready? First of all, he wants you to share it. You got to share it. Second of all, he wants to use it to open the eyes of others. And third, he wants to use it to turn people from darkness to light. But last of all, he wants us to experience the blessing of knowing that he's using your story. So here's some questions I have for you this morning before I pray. Do you have a story? Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Christ. You've heard the message through Tyler and through what I've shared out of Acts 26 that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. Have you ever had a moment where you just surrendered to that? Like that teenage girl, have you ever had a moment where you just said yes to him? Do you have a story 
worth telling. And if not, you can leave here today with one. You can leave here today knowing that you've surrendered your life, saying, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me my sin, and I surrender my life to you. Would you just take over? Would you be the boss and master of my life? If you've never done that, then I would love to talk to you about that. But if you're a believer today, and you have a story, what is it? What is your story? And do you now see the importance of your story as we look at Paul's story? Do you now see the importance of your story? And the most important question I can ask you today is, will you commit to share it? Will you commit to take your story and to share it with somebody else? Listen, I know some of you, because I've talked to you like, man, you've got a story to tell, and you've, you can talk about how God's worked in your lives, and you're looking for opportunities. And some of you have had those opportunities. You've had opportunities that you never knew were coming down the pike. But listen, when we are available, as Tyler said, when we are teachable and ready, uh, Don always says be fat, not like physically fat, but faithful, available, and teachable. When we find ourselves in that place in our lives, listen, God will use our stories to impact people that we never knew were coming down the pike. If your heartbeat is to share your story, and you desperately want God to use you, you never know who God might bring into your life just to hear your story. Because guess what? You have a hero of your story, and who is that hero? It's Jesus, and it's not you. So will you share it? What is your story, and will you share it? So right now, I'm going to ask everybody to close your eyes and, and bow your heads and stand with me if you would. Everybody just stand with me. And I just want to ask you this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you don't have a story and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, would you do it today? Would you just simply acknowledge that you know that you're a sinner, that you've rebelled against God? From the smallest of what you think is a lie to the gravest of sins, you've done it. You've broken his heart. But would you ask him to forgive you of your sin? To take over your life? And would you just tell him that you surrender today? And you turn the reins of your life over to him? The Bible says that when we do that, when we call upon the name of the Lord, if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, and we confess that, we will be saved. We'll be changed. We will have a story. If you've never done that, would you do it today? And then for believers in the room, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you this. Listen to me. You have your head bowed, every eye closed. I want to challenge you with this. What is your story? Maybe you need to go home today and you need to write it down. Maybe you need to find an opportunity. Maybe in a small group venue, going, I got to share my story. I, I, people might need to hear what God has done in my life. What is your story? And are you willing to share it? Because hear me on this church. Jesus wants to use your story to impact other people's lives and other people's eternities. So will we know it? And are we willing to share it? God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for all that you do for us, Lord. And I pray that, I thank you for Tyler, Lord, who came and shared his story. I mean, there's nothing fun about sharing a story of a cycle of addiction or a cycle of pain that we're going through in life, a cycle that we're not even really looking for the exit. 
The cycle that lands us in a place where people are marginalized and people are labeled as worthless and useless and the forgotten of society and the ones that are going to mount to nothing. But Jesus, you changed his life. And you took what was broken and you put it back together. And you took what was dead and you gave him life. And I thank you for his story. And God, the truth be told, that's the story of every person in the room who's a follower of Jesus. So Lord, I pray for believers that we would be challenged to take our story, to know it and commit to share it, and then trust you to do the rest. So God, I pray for believers. I pray for believers today that are reluctant. I pray for believers today that feel like their story is insignificant. God, would you remind them that what you've done for them is not insignificant. It is eternal. And it's worth sharing. So God, would you just have your way with us? May we sing and declare your faithfulness. May we sing and declare your goodness. May today we articulate with our mouths what is raging in our heart, and that is that you are worthy, you are holy, and we're thankful for you taking a dead person and giving us life, that you've changed us, Lord. And God, my prayer is the same prayer that I heard Billy Graham pray, Lord is that our goal in life would not only be to get to heaven, but take as many people as we can with us. But God, that starts with a heart willing to share our story. So would you give us that heart this morning? For it's in your precious and your glorious son's name we pray. Amen.